1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale.
2: And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we're headed to a few of Oregon's beautiful state parks, but not actually the ones you might think. Uh, Jamie, you recently dug into some of the most recent data from uh, Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, and you put together a list that, that intrigued me. Going to... Oregon's least visited state parks.
1: Yeah, you know, we're all familiar with the most visited state parks in Oregon as Silver Falls, Harris Mm -hmm. Beach, Smith Rock. Uh, But it's these least visited parks that are really interesting, I guess because people have largely never heard of these places before. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard of a few of these, but Jamie, you're right. I I
2: don't think I know most of them. And We're going to get into the weeds of your list. But first, we're going to bring on our guest for today, Executive Director of the Oregon State Parks Foundation,
1: Seth Miller. Seth, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. Yeah. Seth, before we get started, I think we should clarify that you don't work for the parks department, but you work for this Oregon State Parks Foundation. So for folks who may not know what that is or what the difference is. Can you just briefly explain a little bit about what the foundation is? Sure. We
0: are an independent 501c3 nonprofit that was formed 25 years ago. This is our 25th anniversary. Our main purpose is to enhance and protect the parks and to supplement the funding of the parks. Uh, many people don't know that in Oregon, not a single penny of your state taxes go to the Oregon State Parks. You see TV ads showing that the lottery helps, and they, the lottery does provide about 40 percent of the funding. But most of the rest of the Funding comes from the camping fees and a little bit from the day use fees.
1: Yeah, that's I think a good reminder for folks too that when you pull up at a state park and there's a day use fee, the ones that charge them, make sure you pay it. Yeah, make sure to support your state parks. It's a couple dollars, you know, yeah. you got to chip in, everyone's
2: got to do their part, right.
0: It's really quite important because there's been an explosive use, a a change in the day use demand of the parks in the last few years. In fact, the parks have gone from 40 million visits nine years ago to 52 million last year, and yet the revenues haven't changed materially. And so the wear and tear on the parks has been tremendous. So your day use fees help significantly.
1: And we can see some of those big crowds when they come to these Popular parks, like we said, places like Silver Falls. And one of the things that I really like about this list of least visited parks is that they're places that people might not think to go to, and they don't always charge a day use fee. But if we can at least maybe help people come to some parks where they might not be uh, large crowds, there might not be as much wear and tear on them. That can help, you know, save the the bigger parks some strain. So I think we should dive into the list yeah. here and take a look at what some of these least visited parks are. So.
2: We've got I don't know why why don't we start Jamie with the the top 5 or if the, you will.
1: The top 5 or the bottom 5 depending if on you will. how you want to look at it. <laughs> the the 5 least visited parks or park sites I should say because some of these aren't really like full-fledged state parks like you might think.
2: Yeah, I mean there's a difference here between going to Smith Rock State Park, you know, the wide sprawling beautiful park down in Central Oregon and say, oh, I don't know, the uh, Red Bridge State Wayside uh, in Northeast Oregon. <laughs>
1: Clocking Big in difference. number four, Red Bridge State <laughs>
2: Wayside. I just picked that one off the top of the list. But I don't know, where do we want to start here? Before we dig into that, I think
0: we ought to talk about the technology for how the traffic counts are developed. So um, you might have noticed that uh, when you go into many of Many, if not all of the parks, there's a rubber treadle across the entrance, and uh, when you go across that treadle, it marks that you have entered the park or your vehicle has entered the park, and then the Parks Department makes an assumption for the number of people in the car on average, and then that generates the list. So uh, it's a fairly... Inexact, exact, if you will, uh, technology to estimate uh, the, the visitation to the parks, and it's subject to things like people who don't drive their car into the park, people who mm. uh, park outside the park and walk in. It's also subject to things like people breaking or stealing the traffic counters. So, um, not great. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a it's an estimate. That's a re- reasonably scientific estimate, but it's not perfect.
2: As close as you can get. Yes. Yeah. And
0: the other the other thing to point out is that with the explosive demand. In demand for use day use of the parks, two things have happened. One, the demand has spread out a little bit so that what they used to call the shoulder seasons, so May and September end October, uh, which are used to be quiet times in the parks, are now not quiet times in the parks. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that people are going and finding lesser used parks as a place to get away from some of the crowds. And that's what we're here to talk about today.
1: Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. So let's jump into some of these least visited parks here. I think maybe we should just do a run out of the, the, the bottom five. Bottom makes five, sense. So, sure. So clocking in at number five is Golden and Silver Falls State Natural Area, which is a waterfall park that is in the southern end of the coast range just outside of Coos Bay.
2: Looks really nice. I mean, I'm looking at one photo of it here, Jamie, that you took, and beautiful cascading falls, Some looks like fall leaves on the ground, kind of
1: lush greenery. Looks really nice. It's a gorgeous spot. Two major waterfalls, uh, Golden Falls and Silver Falls, as the name suggests, and a nice loop trail that connects the two of them. You can hike up to the top of one. The thing with this is that it's just so far out of the way that it takes a really long drive to get there, down some winding back roads. I know the the friend of mine who I took with me on this trip got kind of car sick on the way because it's just one of these trips that you really have to dedicate time and energy to get to.
0: Got it. So if we're talking about uh, a visitor from the northwest part of the state, it is quite a long drive to get down to the southwest corner of the state. But there's a lot of wonderful things to see. I mean, I'm actually kind of jealous of your picture. I have not been to this one park. And... I've got to put it on my list i have been down to the goose bay area many times and uh, you can go to this park the picture the waterfall looks like a wonderful thing to see but it's also really close to other interesting parks so uh, you could go to shore acres and see some of the biggest waves on the on the coast just incredible things and if you're there during the winter time you can go for the incredible christmas light show so uh, golden and silver falls like Arizona Beach, uh, Gazelle Monument, uh, Otter Point, and Umpqua are all parks that made the list of the 20 least visited parks. But they're all clustered there in the southwest corner of the state.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a hard area to get to. It's one of those um, least visited parts, I think, of the Oregon coast, especially compared to like the north coast, the central coast, Mm -hmm. which have a lot more visitors.
2: Yeah, I mean, but still gorgeous and kind of well worth it if only to do a visit to one of these, uh, kind of do a road trip through and see a number of these parks. So, And exactly.
0: you could you could top it off with, if you do it as a summertime trip, uh, go and visit some of these parks and then uh, work your way down to Gold Beach and take the incredible jet boat trip up the Rogue River, oh, which yeah. is an incredible part of uh, Oregon and a, and a great experience. And you've done
1: part of
2: that jet boat.
1: We talked about that yeah. in a previous episode, um, talking to our colleague Shane Cavanaugh about the Rogue River Trail. Uh, It's a great area as well. Yeah, one of the real gems of this state
2: as far as the long trails go. Moving on to to number four on the least visited uh, state parks here. We have Red Bridge State Wayside out in northeast Oregon, 18,700 visitors. Uh, Jamie, what
1: do you know about that place? I know uh, next to nothing about that place. I also know next to nothing <laughs> um, about that
0: place. It's a tiny little park uh, just south of Interstate 84. So if you're driving through Cabbage Hill going from Pendleton to Le Grande or vice versa, and you're looking for a camping spot uh, right along the river, it's a place that you could stop. It's a, it's a forested campground. It's only got uh, 10 primitive and 10 walking campsites, and it's just there on the banks of the Grand Ronde
2: River. Actually sounds pretty perfect.
1: Yeah, especially if you're in a pinch, you're driving across eastern Oregon, you got to pull off and stay somewhere for the night. One of those primitive spots, just grab it. Exactly. Red Bridge. Interesting. I like it. So number three on the list is the Ukiah Dale Forest State Scenic Corridor. Jim, this is another one I know nothing about. <laughs> is it? Are you familiar with this spot at all? I, You know, I'm admittedly not. But again, I'm
2: looking through a photo that uh, you included in your written story about this, Jamie. It looks really cool quite pleasant actually there's a nice dusting of snow some really gorgeous trees kind of sloping down toward the banks of the river It looks quite nice Seth what can you tell us
0: I really don't know much about this site either. <laughs> you can't there, know it other, all. Other than there are, I, I, I did look it up, and there are 27 primitive campsites. Primitive means that it's not set up for RVs. It doesn't have electrical or sewer hookups, and it's, it's primarily uh, focused on tent camping. Perfect. Um, but, it uh, again, it's alongside a river. It follows the North Fork of the John Day River and the Camas Creek, and it's a wintering spot for
1: elk. Sounds pretty nice. Yeah, this is off of Route 395, which connects Pendleton to John Day. So if you're driving that stretch of the high desert, it seems like another little spot to pull off if you want a little dose of nature or a break from the road. I'll take it. Sounds like the kind of place we would enjoy
2: between here and there, if you will. I think it could be an interesting part of an Eastern
0: Oregon road trip. Um, So if if you're really interested in getting out and seeing Sumter Dredge, or the Kamwa Chung Museum of the Chinese Heritage uh, and the immigration to uh, eastern Oregon, or to go to the um, Oregon Coast Interpretive Center. This is one of
2: those places that if you're going to go tent camping, it would be an interesting place to stop. Moving on to number two here, and I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, but we have the Geisel Monument State Heritage Site out on the Oregon coast. And uh, this place looks pretty cool as well. It's a historic site of a rogue Indian war skirmish. And it contains the grave sites of, again, I'm thinking I'm pronouncing this correctly, the Geisel family. Kind of a nice picnic area to enjoy going down 101. What do we know about this,
1: fellas? I've passed it uh, many number of times. I have admittedly had a little bit of resistance to stopping there. You know, when it comes to history of the conflicts between um, Native Americans in Oregon and some of the white settlers Sometimes the history, when not treated well, can fall in a little bit of the territory of uh, erasure of some of that, that history of the Native Americans. And this one, I don't know if that specifically does, but my impression and just seeing the information online is that there's not a lot of context provided. And that it seems to be more of a memorial to a white family who was killed, perhaps unjustly, perhaps not. I'm not really sure. For me, it's just one of these places that I have a weird feeling about, and I just kind of pass by.
0: That's fair. I would say that it's not a destination in and of itself. It's a, it's part of a cluster of three lesser-used parks, Arizona Beach and Otter Point being the other two. And they're all just north of Gold Beach. So if you're going down to Gold Beach and you're going to go ride the, the rafts on the uh, Rogue River, uh, these are interesting places you might stop. But, I again, I wouldn't uh, make them the single destinations.
1: So that takes us to number one on the least visited list. And uh, this year it's a different number one than we had uh, last year. And this year it is Booth State Scenic Corridor, which we should clarify is not Brian Booth State Park. That is different. Two different things. Two booths. Yeah. This is the Booth State Scenic Corridor that is way out. This is down there by Lakeview. So if you're ever down in the Lakeview area, cool spot to check out, I guess. Seth, do you know anything else about what's going on at this park?
0: Uh, only that uh, I gather it's a, it's a a stand of ponderosa pine and aspen and that is a very pretty place to go for fall colors.
1: Wow, that's a great idea, actually. And it seems like there's a little picnic area. So, I mean, if you're hanging out in that area or if you're on the road driving, you know, Route 140 from Lakeview out to Klamath Falls, want to stop for picnic lunch? Yeah. Might as well check out what has been dubbed the least visited state park in Oregon. That's kind of cool in its own right. I think that's worth mentioning. I mean, that these parks, because they're so notoriously little visited, that kind of adds to their appeal, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I would say
2: so. And I mean, it's one of those things, too, where we've seen a lot of these may not be destinations within their own right. Something that you would drive all the way across the, the state to go see. But if you combine a couple of them or link them with larger, maybe more known parks, whether a state park or otherwise, or or outdoor destinations of any kind,
1: totally worth visiting and definitely adds
2: to their appeal that they're on this
1: list. Yeah, last year's number one was Catherine Creek State Park, which is, again, not the Catherine Creek State Park in Washington in the Gorge, but a Catherine Creek State Park up in Northeast Oregon. This year it moved all the way down to number 10 in the list because a bunch more people visited after it was number one last year. It had uh, a 289% change year over year. <laughs> and, again, I, I don't know if accounting methods had anything to do with this or if people just saw, like, what's this cool least visited park, let me check it out. But, I mean, it was uh, a big change this year.
0: And, you know, going back to talking about the booth, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm one who likes to go out and visit uh, lesser-used places, and I like to explore kind of parts of the state that I wouldn't have otherwise found. And so I think there's kind of an interesting route. If you, if you want to head out of the Portland area and head down through Bend and go down and see Fort Rock and then maybe move further south, uh, you could go down to uh, Chandler and Booth and Goose Lake, which are three that made the list of the lesser-used parks – towards the California border, and then work your way over to Crater Lake, and then work your way back up. Uh, So I think that would be an interesting part of kind of central southern Oregon to go visit, and, and it's a part of the state that a lot of people don't see.
2: Well, I think, Jamie, that pretty much covers it for our list of the five least visited state parks here in Oregon. We're going to talk about a few that are destinations within their own right right after a short break. All right, folks. So we're back here with Seth Miller from the Oregon State Parks Foundation talking about some of the least visited parks in our state. And Jamie, we're going to move on here to some of the parks on this list that are kind of a destination
1: on their own. Yeah, I think there's honestly a lot on this list that are that are worth mentioning. Some of these, like we said, are little waysides with, you know, not much more than a picnic area or a rustic campground. But places like Cottonwood Canyon, Arizona Beach, these are all spots that are great to go to if you want to go to somewhere specifically for that park. But before we get into that, I want to talk about, Seth, I know we mentioned that there's some reasons why the counts may change, people stealing, you know, equipment and all that. But why do you think that these parks are so little visited?
0: If you just look at the geography of where most of these parks are, are uh, most of the le- the lesser used parks are in the southwest corner or the northeast corner of the state where the population is smaller And so they tend to be clustered in those corners. The high population areas of the Willamette Valley and up in uh, Portland to Salem and Eugene tend to draw uh, most of the uh, the high visitation parks. And
2: one of the parks on this list here, number 19, is actually a state trail. But the Banks-Vernonia State Trail, you referenced before we started recording that it's difficult to track down exactly how many people go through a trail because, say, there might be multiple entry points or something like that.
0: it popped up on the list of the least visited parks and surprised me, I started asking questions and people are now doing some research to find out what's going on because it doesn't make sense relative to the anecdotal evidence we see of the number of people are going to the banks Nonia Trail.
2: And a lovely trail at that. And, and I know one of the things we want to talk about kind of throughout today's show is... What are some of these parks that are destinations within their own right? And I would say the Banks-Vernonia Trail is one of those places that's an absolute destination.
0: Absolutely. It's a it's a gorgeous uh, paved trail, former um, railroad right away. And it runs through the Stubb-Stewart State Park, which is uh, one of the newest state parks. It's actually quite gorgeous. And there are uh, you, can, you can go hiking, you can go cycling, you can go horseback riding. Uh, there are trails through the park um, to go up there. There are cabins and there are campgrounds that you can go and visit also.
2: Yeah. It's a quick drive from the Portland metro area and you're out in the country real fast and it's a lovely paved path. Really nice for kind of a longer day on your bike. So I enjoy it a lot.
1: Yeah. I think one of the obvious reasons some of these uh, parks in the list are not as well visited is because there's just not a lot to do there. I mean, a lot of them, like we mentioned before, are... Little picnic waysides, um, or little spots that are, maybe have a few rustic campsites, and that's
0: you know that's worth uh, understanding relative to the history of the parks department. So the Parks Department used to be part of the Highway Department, and so they're technically 255 or 56 parks, I believe, um, but some of them are small waysides that that uh, had been managed under ODOT and didn't stay with ODOT when the, the division happened and when uh, the Parks Department stopped being funded by the gas tax. And so they continued to be managed by the Parks Department, but yet they're a quarter of an acre. So if you look at the 255 parks there are 53 that have campgrounds and are larger. The largest park ironically is a 9,000 acre park which is Silver Falls. And one little factoid for you for the is that uh, in Oregon we have one national park. There are, there are parks managed by the National Park Service but there's one classified as a national park and that's Crater Lake and it's 180,000 acres. If you sum up the acreage of all 255 state parks it's 180. 8,000 acres. So you could fit all 255 state parks inside the one national park
1: that we have.
2: That's crazy. That's remarkable. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's just amazing.
1: Huh. I mean, because we think about these state parks and how much land there is, which is, I mean, it's truly amazing how much land we put aside for state parks. When you put it like that and you see, wow, there's so many little tiny pockets of nature within the state park system that we can we can jump into and, and discover. I think what's so beautiful about this list, too, is it's showing us, like, yeah, here's all these tiny little plots of a few acres here and there that we have access to thanks to our state park system. Of course, on the list, too, uh, there are so many that are not just little pockets but are really beautiful, um, sometimes full-fledged state parks. The one that pops out to me, and Seth, I know you and I were talking about this earlier, Mm -hmm. is Cottonwood Canyon which is Oregon's one of Oregon's newest state parks. It's the second newest. That's right. And it is out there just south of the gorge, kind of that northern central Oregon area. And it runs along the John Day River, and it's, I think, just one of the most beautiful spots in the state park system. And yet it appears in this list. Coming in at number 15. At number 15, which is surprising to me just because it's such a beautiful spot. But, of course, it's a little bit out of the way, and that just might be enough for folks to maybe pass it by in favor of some other spots in the area. Well,
0: it's also that it takes a little while for parks to get found. It's a, it's a very different park than many of the other uh, parks that are uh, heavily forested. This is a uh, high desert park, and it is it is definitely out of the way. Uh, you have to go out, uh, if you're coming from Portland, you go out at uh, Interstate 84 to the 97 Bridge, you know, which is the bridge that you would take to go over into Washington to uh, Mary Hill to the uh, Stonehenge replica, that sort of thing. This time you would go to the right and go south down to Wasco and then work your way down to the John Day River. And there you'll find an 8,000-acre park, the second largest park in the system, that also has another 8,000 acres of land that's managed for the BLM by the Park Service. So it's actually 16,000 acres along the park. The other interesting factoid about that park is it's the only park in the state park system that allows hunting. It's an interesting place to see wildlife. It's the only park I can think of where you can actually see bighorn sheep. We were just talking
2: about that actually yesterday. I asked Jamie if he'd seen any out there. I have not. No. I have not either, but I could have sworn that I remembered hearing that somewhere. So mm-hmm. it is, in fact, true.
0: There was actually an effort to repopulate the big shorn sheep population in Cottonwood Canyon. And uh, there's a fascinating video that shows uh, the sheep um, being blindfolded and, and kind of stacked up on a, on a chain underneath a helicopter and brought over and <laughs> kind of dropped down into the park. And that's kind of an amazing effort. Uh, if you actually go to Cottonwood Crossing Summer Institute's website, site some students from that group uh, made a video of this happening and so it's an interesting place to see the uh, the repopulation of the sheep I also have never seen one of the bighorn sheep but I have been frustrated by the fact that I've been standing there next to the naturalist who led the effort to repopulate and he's going there they are there they are there they are (laughs) you just you have to know what to look for and uh, with my 60 year old eyes I have a hard time seeing them
1: (laughs) A bit easier in Cottonwood to see the cliff swallows making their little clay nests up in the cliffs. And, of course, a lot of snakes, including rattlesnakes out there, which may deter some people in the summer months and the snakes are out. But, you know, folks, there's snakes in a lot of places that are beautiful. And I think it's worth checking out and just putting on your boots and being safe out there.
0: There are a number of options out there. Uh, The the, uh, camping in that park is currently first-come, first-served, but I I would imagine very soon it will become a reservation park just because it's now on the radar screen and people are starting to show up. And, And during the summertime, it's not uncommon to find people in the overflow areas just because the first-come-first-serve is filled up. There are also four cabins that are available for rent there. Um, So I encourage people to get out there and explore it. And and
2: very nice cabins at that. I mean, you referenced this is a new park, and the cabins are really quite
1: enjoyable. Yeah, I can vouch for those cabins. I stayed there last year when they first opened, and they're just a little bit nicer than the typical state park cabin. Just the decor they put in there. It's really nice to stay cool stuff.
0: So my, my point of pride for that park is the building next door. We Our foundation raised the funds to build the Experience Center, which is a classroom facility that was intended uh, primarily for the Cottonwood Crossing Summer Institute, which is a program that Eastern Oregon University runs for high school students, from primarily from the John Day Watershed. Uh, it's a gorgeous building, and one of the things that we liked about it was that that, that building, as well as the cabins and the shower restroom facility, are all built, um, making heavy use of juniper which is a a tree that is normally seen as a weed by ranchers in that area but we insisted that they use that wood and it's by the time they put it up and sanded it down it's absolutely stunning gotta check that out
1: yeah sounds worth taking a look Well, aside from Cottonwood, I I am curious for you guys, uh, if there's any other state parks on this list that really jump out as spots that you love, that maybe you're a little surprised that they're on on this list of least visited parks. So I wanted to draw
2: attention actually, Jamie, to to one where I know you've been and I've been curious about. So I'd, I'd like to hear about Fort Rock State Natural Area. You've got a photo here that shows kind of some really soaring rock features that are a little bit reminiscent of
1: the much more popular Smith Rock. Yeah, Fort Rock is a really, really cool spot. I just went there for the first time um, last fall on my road trip out to Central Oregon, Christmas Valley, and then down to Southeast Oregon. Fort Rock is what's known as a tough ring. That's T-U-F-F ring, which is a volcanic feature when the lava comes up and meets the water. And what Fort Rock used to be an ancient lake. It kind of spews up the lava and creates a ring of lava rock, and that's what Fort Rock is. I mean, it sounds amazing, and that visual is spectacular. Walk me through a little bit of what it looks like today. You can walk up to Fort Rock and walk not only around it, but also inside of it. Hmm. And once you get inside, it's just a really cool feeling. When I was there, there was a lone juniper tree growing up in the middle of it. There was a bunch of feathers from pigeons and crows and owls and such laying around. So you can tell it's sort of still a wild place. And all around it is that classic sagebrush scrubland that, you know, the high desert in central Oregon is really known for. And it's worth noting, too, that nearby Fort Rock at a cave just a short distance away is where some ancient sandals were found made of sagebrush that dates back to some of the earliest human inhabitants of North America. Hmm. A little bit of history there as well. Yeah, it's a great spot, and you can get tours of that cave some parts of the year by State Park Rangers.
2: Very cool. Seth, any ones on the list here jumping at you or anything more to, to share about Fort you know,
1: Rock? I thought
0: it would be worth calling attention to Bates over in eastern Oregon. Bates is not a place that you would necessarily think of as a day-use park. It's a it's a site of a former sawmill back in the days when eastern Oregon had a lot of logging going on. It's really an interesting place to be a kind of a central point for seeing a number of interesting sites in the area. I, I mentioned earlier the opportunity to see Camwa Chung uh, and Sumter Valley Dredge and the uh, Oregon Coast Interpretive Center in Baker City. Uh, Bates is a really good place to go and and, Plop your tent down as a central place to go see those. And uh, you know, just to, to point them out, Kamwa Chung, a lot of people don't know about Kamwa Chung, but uh, that is a former mercantile and apothecary that um, was about to be torn down when um, our foundation raised the funds to uh, turn it into a museum. The Discovery Channel recently did a story about this find. And uh, the interesting story behind it is that uh, two uh, Chinese individuals had started this mercantile and apothecary, and they were taking care of of the uh, Chinese immigrants who had come to mine gold and to build the railroad out in eastern Oregon. Interesting thing about the apothecary is the chair that he took care of people in is still there. And basically, his process was you came in and you sat down in the chair. He came and he held your wrist. He took your pulse and he decided what herbs you needed. He went back in the apothecary and mixed them up for you. But uh, anyway, the building was locked up. And I think it was about 20 years that it sat there uh, vacant, uh, not vacant, but locked up. And the city was about to tear it down when one of the city council members asked, shouldn't we open the door first and find out what's inside? <laughs> yeah. And when they opened the door, they found out that the store was still stocked. All the, all the non-perishable goods were still sitting there. And the apothecary was still there with all the herbs from the Chinese medicines. And that turns out to be the second largest collection of Chinese herbal medicines in the world.
1: That's amazing. And, you know, that's a place I'm really glad to see not on the least visited parks list. And I would love to see creep up more towards the most visited parks list. It's such a cool spot for, I think, Oregon heritage. A lot of these Oregon heritage museums are from the perspective of white settlers and from gold miners and from homesteaders and the Oregon Trail. And we forget a lot about the Chinese immigrants or the Japanese immigrants or the Native Americans who were here first. And I think it's great to see places that, illustrate that history and help educate us a little bit better.
0: But on the same trip that you stayed at Bates, you could go to the Sumter Dredge, which is, again, another thing that people don't know much about. Sumter Dredge is the last remaining gold dredge in Oregon. And uh, it's a, to me, it's an interesting thing because it's a... A dredge was is basically like a, a, a scoop crane that would move through the valley, digging up the rocks, breaking them up, taking the gold out, and to putting the deposits behind them. And they it sat in a pond that moved with the dredge. And so, uh, if you looked at from a drone and look, you'd see all the paths back and forth in the valley of where this dredge has been. And it's an interesting place to go and see. And if you're taking kids, they have an exhibit where the kids can play that they're gold mining or panning for gold. In the same trip, you could go up to the Oregon Trail turn Center in uh, just north of Baker City. And uh, it's a place that my kids were actually fascinated when we could see the ruts in the rock, where you could actually see where the, the wagons from the Oregon Trail uh, came across. It's the only museum that I've ever taken my kids to when they were young. We had to drag them through the museum because they wanted to stay and watch more.
1: <laughs> what I love about that museum, too, is they have all these mannequins there representing people who came on the trail. And it's so realistic that the mannequins are like harrowed, they're like dirty, they're crying, and it shows you like wow, yeah, these people were actually go- embarking on a really difficult journey. There's even a mannequin of a woman burying her child, and like oh my, it's like press a button to hear her cries, and it's like not usually what we think of of like fun museums, but it's it's good to know again this history that is more accurate. That doesn't necessarily paint a rosy picture over the Oregon Trail.
0: I know we're jumping around a bit in the state, but, um, you know, one park that doesn't get a traffic counter and so it doesn't appear on your list and yet is actually one of the least visited uh, parks in the system is the Thompson's Mill uh, down south of Corvallis. And again, I, I'm intrigued by things that are part of Oregon's history. Uh, this is the last remaining uh, original water-powered grist mill in the state. You know, back yeah. in the day, uh, the the grist mills were the gathering place for farmers. You know, people would bring their their wheat or whatever to the mill to get it ground, and this is where people would see each other. So if you go to Thompson's Mill today, the machinery still works. It's a great place again for taking kids because when you're taking the tour, they can actually turn on the machinery. They open the floodgate. It's the water comes rushing in. It makes the turbines turn. It makes all the the belts and everything um, move through the mill. And that's pretty exciting. And when I took my daughter, who's now 25, there, when we walked away, she said, That's the way to learn, Dad.
2: (laughs) I love that. That's the most earnest statement uh, you
1: could possibly ever get. That's the way to learn. I love that we set out to talk about some of these least visited parks and ended up talking about so many other parks throughout the system that weren't even on this list. Mm -hmm. That's the cool thing about our state park system is that there's so many spots. Once you start talking about one or two, you start talking about all of them. So, Seth, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking state parks with us. Um, Before you go, is there anything else you wanted to mention about these least-visited parks or the State Parks Foundation?
0: We have some news about the foundation, which is that we're in the process of rebranding our organization. Uh, So instead of calling ourselves Oregon State Parks Foundation, we'll be called Oregon Parks Forever. And we are expanding our mission to include all public lands, federal, state, local, and tribal lands around the state. And we're also turning our attention to the massive problem of deferred maintenance in parks. This is a national issue. The National Park Service has said that they have a 12 billion dollar backlog in deferred maintenance. The Forest Service has said they have a 5 billion dollar backlog in deferred maintenance, and the National the American Society of Civil Engineers has estimated there's a 95 billion dollar backlog in state parks across the country. Wow. So, huge issue. A lot of it comes from the fact that much of the park system in the United States was built during the Civilian Conservation Corps days, and so a lot of the physical facilities in the parks were built Uh, during those times and they've all aged at about the same time and then on top of that you throw all this explosive use of uh, day use demand and the wear and tear has been incredible and so while our foundation has historically done things like funded the building of the new experience center at Cottonwood Canyon we are turning our attention to restoration efforts and trying to include increased stewardship efforts to go in and and, uh, fix up some of these facilities uh, take care of what we already have and also to bring a spotlight onto the problem of deferred maintenance.
2: Well, good luck with that transition, and thank you again for uh, taking the time to come on the podcast today. Thank you
0: for inviting me.
2: Thanks, Seth. I think I learned a thing or two and really enjoyed our conversation. So, Jamie, kind of moving forward here, we're going to end things the way we always do,
1: talking a little bit about what we've got going on next. And, Jim, I think I want to hear not about what you're doing next. But about what you just did, because we have a new Peak Northwest video out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with that?
2: Yeah, the long and short of it is uh, my partner, Brooke, and I, along with Brooke Herbert, different Brooke, a second Brooke. The two Brooks. Uh, the two Brooks, Brooks Squared, went to a fire lookout in the Mount Hood National Forest. Ooh. My Brooke and I were on skis. Brooke Herbert was uh, able to just walk along a groomed trail. We stayed the night in this absolutely gorgeous fire lookout, had an amazing sunrise in the morning, we're able to see Mount Hood. Uh, It was everything you could ever want.
1: Uh, That sounds amazing, Jim. Folks, check out the video. It is a good one as always. Yeah, everything you could ever want in a fire lookout experience. We got it. It was really fun. Jamie, how about you? What's going on? Well, I don't know if you recall in a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Coast Range waterfalls. And I mentioned that I had to go back to that area to get some waterfalls that I hadn't been to. And so that's what I'm doing. All right. I planned an overnighter to go back and hit up six waterfalls I did not get to. Um, And I'm going to just pair that with a little overnight trip to Astoria do a little fish and chips, maybe try another drive and burger, and check out some of those dark beers at Fort George Brewing for their stout month.
2: Alright, I like that. Well Jamie, I want to make sure we hear a little bit more about that in a future episode of the podcast, but for now I think it's probably about time we say goodbye. I think that's probably right Jim. Yeah. yeah. You can subscribe to Peak Northwest wherever you get your podcasts, watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, and of course follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Brooke Herbert. Many thanks, of course, to our
1: guest, Seth Miller from the Oregon State Parks Foundation. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.